0: I invite you to open up in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, It is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open this scripture to us that we may know who we are as a priesthood dedicated to sacrifices in honor of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we remember the Reformation of Christ's Church in the 1500s, which occurred and was kicked off uh, on October 31st, 1517. And in the text before us from 1 Peter, we will emphasize one of the important themes from the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers, the priesthood and dignity of all those who serve God, of all the saints, of all the believers, whatever their job or station or calling in life. A theme that is seen in the sermon outline that centers on Jesus Christ. It brackets Jesus at the center. A holy priesthood, verses 1 through 6. A chief cornerstone, that's Christ, at the center, verses 6 through 8. And a royal priesthood, verses 9 through 10. Indeed, we are a people who recognize that we are part of a a royal priesthood and also a holy priesthood and in the beginning of this sermon we'll be focusing on the matter of identity who we are as set apart as holy set apart from a crooked and depraved generation And at the end of the sermon, we're going to be focusing on the royal priesthood. What is it that we do? What is it that we are empowered with authority to do? For a king, a royalty is one who acts. And so, with regard to that idea of a holy priesthood, we are uh, set apart, as Elder Ken pointed out last week in Sunday school, that we are uh, set apart as justified believers set apart from the penalty of the sin and we're in the process of being set apart as sanctified believers uh, f- from the power of sin and we are will be set apart as glorified believers from the presence of sin set apart from the penalty the power and the presence of sin, even the very presence of sin, which will be totally gone on that glorious day when we are brought into the presence of Christ as holy believers who constitute a holy priesthood. Now, this is a truth that was emphasized in the uh, New Testament times, but it was recovered in the Reformation, this idea of the priesthood of all believers. But it's also a truth that goes way back to the Old Testament. In Exodus 19 and 3, we read, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say, this is, uh, Thus you shall say, Thus you shall say, to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Indeed, we are set apart. And that is a truth that went way back to the Old Testament. There was a special priestly caste, caste then, a priestly tribe of Levi. But the whole people of God were to be intercessors for the world. They were meant to be a witness to bring glory to God, even through the exodus of how glorious God was in delivering his people from slavery. Now how do we become part of this royal priesthood? How does it happen? Well if you take a look in chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 you see there the mention of the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious So we are meant by the Word of God, which is a central foundational aspect of the Reformation, the primacy of the Word of God. And it's the sole authority for faith and practice that we would have that Word in our life. And it says also, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to have a salvation coming into our life and if we're raised in the church it may be something that we can't identify a specific moment when it happened but we need to be able to say today yes i do trust in christ i know he is my savior and my lord and if you were not raised in the church or only in a nominal relationship, perhaps there is that moment, that time of turnaround, when you can say, yes, I have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is how you become part of the priesthood. The holy high priest touches your life and brings you into his presence and incorporates you immediately into two living realities. That spiritual house which is mentioned in verse five and the holy priesthood which is mentioned in verse five but there are many who don't want this there are many who don't want to be a part of a holy priesthood they they think of the church as antiquated they think of people who want to be part of anything holy as holy rollers who look down their nose at people who are in the world and so we need to recognize that there needs to be a a drawing attractive effect of the gospel and look at verse 4 coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by God and precious you see we're in a very difficult time in our country now with a lot of division politically a lot of uproar over the election COVID-19 there's all kinds of things that are out of sorts and what we offer to the world is that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ you come to a living stone you come to a source of stability you come to one upon whom you can build your life When personal or national uh, things are in in an uproar, you have a stone, and that stone is Christ. But he is not just like a, a dead flagstone outside your house that you step down onto when you're going out for the day. He is a living stone. He is in a relationship with you, and he is in a relationship... To bring you into something bigger than yourself. Because as we come to him, we as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Now, as individuals, we are temples. According to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That is a truth. And it is true that we keep that individual relationship with Christ, that we recognize that we ourselves are meant to have a holy life and regard our bodies as a temple. But this temple is a corporate temple. It is the church. And we are being built into it as living stones. And we are also then given a task. We are given a task as a holy priesthood who intercedes for other believers, who intercedes for a lost and broken world so loved by God that we would be intercessors serving God in our whole life, in our life in the church and in our life as uh, people in the world who have labor and leisure, recreation, and challenging circumstances that we face in the world that we're a witness to christ wherever we go and so in that sense we have to recognize that the spiritual sacrifices which are mentioned there in verse five that we offer up are acceptable to god through jesus christ we are not perfect we're not going to respond in every situation the way we should we were talking about the power of example in our sunday school class with Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul, and we learn much from the godly examples, but we recognize that as we're in this growth process, that we want to respond in godly ways, but it is not always the perfection that we see. And so our offerings are acceptable to God, acceptable to God, Through Jesus Christ. You see, he's the high priest. He has been designated by God a high priest. And it is in him as we offer our lives to God that they become acceptable as honoring Christ. And the foundational gift that we give is ourselves. You can have all the things in the world we try to give to God, but if you're not giving yourself, if you're not putting your heart and giving it to God, that is not acceptable. In Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, And so Calvin writes, a holy priesthood is a singular honor, that God should not only consecrate us as a temple to himself in which he dwells and is worshipped, but that he should also make us priests. But Peter mentions this double honor in order to stimulate us more effectually to serve and worship God. Of the spiritual sacrifices, the first, is the offering of ourselves, of which Paul speaks in Romans 12.1. For we can offer nothing until we offer to him ourselves as a sacrifice, which is done by denying ourselves. You are a holy priesthood. And secondly, we learn of the chief cornerstone, verses 6 through 8. Why do we believe? We believe because we're sinners. We need forgiveness. We come to a point of conviction in our life that we need to have a relationship with a God, and there's no other way to have that except through Jesus Christ. We're broken. We also sense in our life a need for purpose and meaning. You may remember the Michael W. Smith song, Place in This World, back in 93. And he sings there in that song, Asking, where do I belong? Is there a vision I can call my own? I'm looking for a reason, roaming through the night, to find my place in this world. Not a lot to lean on. I need your light to help me find my place in this world. You see, we have a need to be connected rightly with God's purposes, and that is done by being part of a holy priesthood. By being part of the house of God, this house, this spiritual house called the church. And then it is from there that we launch into the world. Whatever our life looks like in our retirement, in our work, 24-7 if we're in emergency services or five days a week, nine to five. If we're in a different types of jobs, if we're students, we're studying, we find our place by finding Christ. And Jesus is the one who is be the, the chief cornerstone. Verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Yes, here is a touchstone a solid place off of which you can build your life because he has been laid rightly, we in relationship to him can find our place in the world. Jesus was rejected, despised, rejected of men, smitten of God and afflicted, but then he was raised from the dead, perfect, glorious, and seen to be appropriate and the only fitting Stone that could go in that particular spot. Some people say it's a cornerstone. Other commentators say it's a a keystone at the top of an arch. But whatever you would say, the reality is that Christ is vindicated. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There's so many people who reject Christ today. There's so many people who cut down even a believer who trusts in Christ today. Um, uh, You know, there there are actors like Matthew McConaughey who talk about their faith in Christ and, and I don't know much about his life, but I do know that he came to the defense of Chris Pratt, who was basically just Totally canceled by our culture because of his religious affiliation with an evangelical Christian church, and none other than Iron Man came to the defense of Chris Pratt. You know that's uh, Robert Downey Jr. And I'm just saying to you that these realities, which they speak of here, are realities in our world. That there are people who are are wanting to put to shame believers as it's. And yet it says in verse 6, even though you may be canceled now, you will be vindicated at the end. You will by no means be put to shame at the last day. And this Jesus, who is canceled by our culture today, rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. And the result upon those who are disobedient is that this Christ is a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. He is one who is appointed to be the stumbling block for those who reject God. You come up against the rock which will judge you. You will be even crushed under it, according to a parallel text. And so I want to say to you today, this chief cornerstone needs to be at the center of your life. And in the center of your life, you will find that he is the one who gave his life for you individually and gave his life for you corporately. As it says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is the individual intercession of Christ for sinners, for people like you and me, for any who will be drawn to come to this lovely living stone, that you come to him and approach him in faith. And then there is also the text, Ephesians 5.25, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, here is the intercession of Christ for the whole body of Christ, for this kingdom of priests, for his bride. See, Christ is the one who died for the church, gave himself up for his bride, which is the church. And we are not individually the wives of Christ. Christ is not a bigamist. He doesn't have this wife and this wife and this wife and this wife. He died for the church, the one church of Christ. And so, as you consider your relationship with him, consider that as you need him, you need him in the fellowship of the body, even this holy priesthood, this building from God, this spiritual house, which we spoke about in verse number five. And now, as we go to the third point, we see that this is a royal priesthood it is a priesthood with a job to do. A king is authorized to act. A king acts with executive authority. And we, a royal priesthood, are authorized to serve Christ in the church and in society because Christ is Lord both of the church and society. There are two kingdoms. There As believers, we act together in the church to worship God, to serve Him. And in society, we act individually. We don't go into society with a preachy attitude as the church, pretending like we're the economists and we're the politicians, and we know better than the rest just how to set things right. William Wilberforce was a devoted Christian, but he went in as a member of parliament to bring Christian values to England, and that led over uh, 20 years from the end of the 1700s into the beginning of the 1800s with first the abolition of trading in slavery in the British Empire, and then after that, an abolition of slavery itself. And so he acted with a royal authority from King Jesus as an individual believer, as his conscience brought him to gather so many people to that cause, to remove that evil from society. And so this goes back to us giving ourselves totally to the Lord. Are we going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? I want to bring you three applications from the Bible. I want to bring up uh, a parallel text for you, if you please keep your finger in 1 Peter. But just turn over with me a moment, please, to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, Hebrews 13 and 15. And this speaks to how we offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is mentioned here. We proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It also speaks to how we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ from verse 5 of chapter 2. So reading from Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So here we see, first of all, that our offering of a sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise, that we are exalting who God is in his character. We thank God for what he has done in his deeds of salvation history. And that we would do that together, that we would be continually offering, as a church, the sacrifice of praise to God, giving thanks to his name. For me, that has continued uninterrupted since I was born. There hasn't been a time when I haven't been worshiping God. It wasn't always because I wanted to. My parents dragged me to church, whether I wanted it or not. It wasn't up to me whether I got the comb through my hair with the salt water on it that made my hair crusty and maybe look okay and neat for Sunday morning as the preacher's kid. It wasn't up to me whether I was going to go there and go to my Sunday school. It was just what we did. But then there were times in college where... I had the friends who dragged me to church. I came home from England. I came home feeling like a failure. And my my friends knocked on the door and they dragged me off to their Episcopal church. And I loved the liturgy. I loved Christ at the center of that liturgy. And I loved the music. And that was enough to keep me for that season of my life. And I'm saying to you, you need to praise God. You owe him this. It isn't just whether you're going to get something out of the worship service, which I certainly hope you do. I hope you do. But it's about you bringing your sacrifice of praise to God. And so, secondly, you need to do good in terms of charitable acts. Verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. That's why I was talking about the open door this morning. That's why I'm so thankful we have deacons who share with the needs of the, God's people and the needs of the community. That we would have various responses for various opportunities. That we would do it directly by giving through the deacons fund, but that we would also respond immediately when you hear somebody's sick. Maybe you would cook that person a meal Or drop off a gift card in the mail for the Olive Garden or Cooper's Cave or even DoorDash. That you would be someone who in some practical way helps others. And this is a reflection of you being part of the kingdom of priests. But now, keeping your finger in 1 Peter, turn back with me to another text in Colossians, please. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Colossians 3 and verse 22. And there we read verse 23. Colossians 3, 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You see, the immediate context is bond servants. It's people in a relationship with a master but we are all bond servants to Christ we we serve him gladly and we should be those who do everything as to the Lord we are meant to glorify God in our whole life when you do your homework at school or at your home school do it hardly as to the Lord when you perform pursue your professional or business obligations, do it heartily as to the Lord. When you love your children as a mother or father, sacrificing through long nights, do it heartily as to the Lord. When you serve in the church, cleaning the building or teaching or mounting something in the building or, or uh, serving on a committee, do it heartily as to the Lord. Everything that we do that is godly and in accord with God's word is a sacrifice of praise, even if it doesn't involve singing. So that our solitary life, our home life, our church life is our calling to serve God. This is what's called the doctrine of vocation. There are not two levels of work. The upper story is the ecclesiastical, full-time religious professionals like me. And they're holy and they're priestly. That's what they were trying to tell everybody in the Middle Ages. And that's why you had this whole class of parish priests and then monks and nuns in the convent. And they all, those were the holy people. They were serving God The rest of us will basically, we were the workhorses necessary to keep society moving along and to give offerings to keep that other group of people fed. But that is not what the Bible says. We are all part of the kingdom of priests. And we are meant by this not to say that uh, we are not responsible to office holders. There are people, as it says in Hebrews, Remember those, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. There are ordained leaders who are meant to lead us and to call us. And we have a responsibility for your souls. We're going to have to give account for the people who are uh, in our congregations. So it does not mean an absolute leveling of the church, that there is no authority structure but it does mean that we are all priests. And I'd like just to think about how that worked itself out in Calvin's day. Just give you some examples of how this priesthood of all believers looked. There was a time when they were fighting um, uh, a a group of people who were uh, very licentious, who were uh, wanting to uh, be... Uh, living in ways that that sound a lot like today, Uh, people who uh, had a secular attitude and who have uh, a promotion of of free sex, even back then in those days. And there were these uh, persons who were licentious and they rejected the scriptures as a dead letter they resorted to wild allegorical interpretations to suit their fancies and these were called the libertines they promoted a lifestyle against God but yet they still wanted to be part of the church and this is somewhat what I ran into in the mainline church uh, which I served in for several decades. They, they still wanted to be a part of the church because they felt like that was a place they wanted to belong because they were raised in it, but yet they were not willing to give up the, the world. And so there was a long process of discipline which lasted 20 years from 1535 to 1555, and men such as Jacques Cruet, who were under the suspicion of poisoning one of Calvin's Fellow pastors, Verre was, was disciplined for his iniquity. But then in 1555, a golden era of the Christian faith arose in Geneva, which was in startling contrast to Rome, where uh, Martin Luther went and visited, and he was totally disillusioned when he went down to Rome to see all the corruption, both of a monetary and a sexual nature, that was tolerated in the home of the papacy. And for nearly two centuries, from the middle of the 1500s to the middle of the 1700s, there was a a golden era in Geneva until men like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was a native of Geneva, and a Frenchman by the name of Voltaire, who lived for about 20 years at Fernay, very near uh, uh, Geneva, brought in the corrupting influence of their secularism. But for those two centuries for the most part the churches were filled the word of god was preached daily family worship reading the bible and praying with your family was the rule praying and singing of the psalms abounded and the whole city seemed to present a community of sincere earnest christians who practiced what they believed that's a quote from philip schaff this is the priesthood of believers as it hits the ground as it has An impact upon society. There was a greater emphasis upon cleanliness. Filth was removed from the houses and the narrow crooked streets. There was a superintendence by the civil authorities of the the markets where food was sold and that superintendence prevented the sale of unhealthy food. Hospitals and houses for poor people were provided and were well maintained. And so it came to this point where everyone believed that what they were doing mattered to God. That they were doing it as unto the Lord and not for men. And that raises the bar. And that raises the quality of our efforts. And it provides this leaven of a positive quality that we are salt in this society. This doesn't mean that we boss society around that we have the inside scoop on everything but as individuals we go out in society and live as Christians and the effect was known so much in Geneva that Pharrell said in 1557 he would rather be the last person in Geneva than the first person anywhere else and Knox said that Geneva was the most perfect school of Christ that ever was in the earth since the days of the apostles. And Valentine Andre, 50 years after Calvin's death, said, there is in that place not only the perfect institute of a perfect republic, but also a moral discipline. And so I want to call us that we would be that salt and light in our country. Our country needs it. Our country is a beautiful place. Our country was founded on these religious foundations that I've been talking to you about. The Puritans were Calvinists. The Puritans were Christians and Christians of many denominations flooded into this country and gave us a great foundation. And now we need to go out. We need to serve the Lord. You need to vote and you need to be living in your personal lives according to To your conscience before a holy God who has called you to be a holy priesthood. Let us pray.